0: Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that God will meet you in this time with a fresh revelation of his love for you and that you will be challenged to align with the amazing plans that God has waiting for you. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Jesus, we love you. And we just finished singing, lift up your eyes and see the king of heaven. So this morning, that's 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 our heart's cry. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that, that you would come as a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, that you would open up our eyes to see the sun clearly. Yeah. In his name. Amen. So as I was preparing for this message and thinking ahead to it over the last two or three weeks, the song, this Christmas carol that kept going through my head was joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Because there's, there's very few things in, in, in all of scripture that can come close to matching the wonder and awe and joy of the incarnation And the incarnation is a term we use. It's a theological term. It's it's Jesus becoming a human being. It's Jesus becoming a baby. We call that the incarnation. And there's very few things that can even get close to equaling that sort of joy. I I love in the Christmas story, and if you've never read through the Christmas story before, it's in Luke chapter 2. But in Luke chapter 2 verse 10, these shepherds, they they appear, or uh, the shepherds don't appear. The shepherds were there. But angels appear to these shepherds to tell them about Jesus. And the angel says this. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. He says, I'm bringing you good news. Why? Because the birth of Jesus changes everything. Jesus coming to earth, it changes everything. Because this baby in a manger, he came to set us free. He came to break the power of sin and shame and condemnation off of us. He came to make a way for us to be in relationship with the Father. And he came for people who were broken and hurting and sinful and unworthy. And I love that because it means he came for people like us. Just on, on Thursday night, our, our students, we were out at CARA Center, which is an addiction treatment center for women in Winnipeg. It's, it's a ministry of union gospel mission. I, I love that place. Great leadership there, great staff, and, and great ladies. And, and one of our students, Audrey, was actually sharing a message, and I'm sure she loves that I'm, I'm mentioning this story, but she was sharing a devotional with them uh, just about the reality that, you know, when, when, these, when these angels came to announce the news of Jesus, it wasn't to kings that they came to give that message wasn't to the highest political figures or the richest people. It was to shepherds, the blue-collar workers of the day. It was to shepherds out in their fields. That's who they announced the message for. It's for people like us. And I love that reality of his coming. And I also love that in Luke 2 verse 10, the angel doesn't just say it's good news, but it's good news of great joy. Like, this, this is really, really good news. Like, the idea is that we should be the happiest people on the planet. And I understand that there's, like, real trauma and trouble and struggle and difficulty in our lives. Like, like, that pain is real. But in some ways, that's even more so why we should be filled with hope. Because the coming of Jesus means this, that the difficult situations we're working our way through, they're all just temporary. And we have the hope of eternal life and eternal joy in a world where there is no more death or suffering or pain or brokenness. Amen. We have a reason to rejoice even in the midst of the hurt. Even in the midst of times of heartache, we have a reason to rejoice and we have a comfort for our soul because Jesus came with this promise of something so much more. He, he came to earth to set in motion this plan which would lead to his death on the cross for our sins. And then his resurrection to give us a promise of new life with him, an eternal life. And, and then I, I love the, the overwhelming mercy of God in the middle of it. Because, I mean, he, he already, he sends his son. How much more merciful can you get? Like God himself comes down in the flesh. Jesus to, takes the form of a, of a baby, lives a sinless life on this earth, dies for our sins, raised to life like we can't, we can't ask for anything more than what he's already done there. But then as a sign of mercy, he sends this man called John the Baptist. And we're going to talk about him a little bit this morning. And he sends John the Baptist. And his ministry starts just a little bit before Jesus' ministry to prepare the way. And it's like the father said, yeah, I'm sending you, my son. But that's, and, and that's more than enough. But, but even more than that, I'm going to send someone ahead just to prepare people's hearts so that when Jesus comes, they're going to be ready for him. And, and Isaiah, he, he prophesies the coming of John back in the, about the 7th century B.C., so maybe 700 years or so before he actually came. He describes him this way in Isaiah 40, verses 3 to 5. He describes John as a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He says, make way for the king. Make way for the king. Mountains, bow down. If you're high and lofty and lifted up, bow down. The king is coming. If you're low and you feel like you're you're unappreciated, unloved, you're broken, you're you're whatever, he says, no, no, be raised up. Your King is coming. It's this incredible message of hope, and he came as this as I just love this as this burning man in the wilderness calling a people to turn to Jesus. Again, he came to prepare hearts and minds for Jesus' ministry. He was born only a few months before Jesus. I, I love this, this one greeting we read about in the Bible where, where he, uh, Jesus, he's still in the womb of his mother Mary and, and John's in the womb of his mother Elizabeth. And when these two ladies meet, John actually leaps in the womb. She can feel him leap because it's like John knew. It actually says, and we'll read this in a moment, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit from before he was even born. What a life. In Luke 1, I'm gonna read just the story of John's John's birth. Luke 1, verses 5 to 17. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of the Lord, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. And often, when I first read it, The the verse that sticks out to me is the fact, okay, they were both very old and they weren't able to have a child, and that sort of sticks out to you. But the thing that actually sticks out to me in light of that even more is the verse right before it, in verse 6, where it says, both of them were righteous in the sight of the Lord, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Their story was not going the way they thought it would. I just imagine a young Zechariah and a young Elizabeth getting married and just imagining having kids and this great family they were going to have and this great life they were going to have. And then the years start passing by and no kids. And then the years start turning into a decade and still no kids. Well, there's still hope. And then it's another decade and well, there's still a little bit of hope. And then another decade and the hope is gone. and, and, And so you're thinking, okay, what must that have looked like? But but then it says, we see how they carried their heart. Even in the midst of unfulfilled desires in their heart, even in the midst of unfulfilled promises, they walked in obedience to the Lord. And I love looking at stories like that of people who walk faithfully before the Lord. They're not bitter. They're not getting into self-pity. They serve the Lord and they trust him and they honor him as God. I think about that as a guy who got engaged in his 40s. And and, and along the way, stories like this, because you have your own story. You have your own stories of things you're praying for. You have your own stories of things you're waiting for and hoping for. And I love that we have this godly heritage of people like this in the scripture who even in the midst of the waiting didn't get bitter, didn't get upset about God. They trusted him and they kept serving him. Amazing people. Let's keep on going. It says, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God... He was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. So the the altar of incense wasn't in the Holy of Holies, it was just outside the Holy of Holies. But the way the priest-lay system worked is that there'd be divisions of priests. And then when your term would be this, your whole group of priests would go up and minister. And then they would draw lots. And so to actually be able to offer the, the incense on that altar of incense was a very rare thing. It probably was the highest honor of Zechariah's career. So this is awesome. He's like, oh, wow, what an honor. I mean, he's not in the Holy of Holies, but he's right outside of it. It's like, wow, to actually be that close to the glory and presence of God in the temple. What an honor. And then it says... Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Now, many of you are familiar with this story, so you know what was about to happen. Yeah, the angel's about to appear to him, but he didn't. Have you ever had one of these situations? Maybe it's like in a a house or maybe it's in a hallway at school or at work or something and and someone comes up to you and and you don't see them all of a sudden right beside you. You're like, hey, how's it going? And you're like, "Ah," and you're just freaking out. They just just scare the socks off of you. Just imagine that. That's what happened to John except it was an angel of the Lord. So, So he's there and he's offering incense and all of a sudden boom, okay, there's somebody there. So first of all, he's freaked out because just, what are you doing here? Because like, the, the angel just appeared in the thin air. So, so he's, that alone is freaky, but then it's an angel of God. So he sees this angel and he's like, he is gripped with fear. He's terrified. So often in the Bible, um, when people have a, an, an encounter with an angel of the Lord, like their, their first feeling is just terror. Oh my goodness. Like they come, they come in, in like proximity to the glory of the Lord. So he's he's freaking out. He's like, "What is going on here?" He's absolutely terrified. But the angel said to him, "Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, some of you just need to hear that by the way. Your prayer has been heard." I love this in, in Revelation. In Revelation, I think it's maybe chapter 5, maybe a little bit later, but it, but it talks about how these, there's these angels before the throne of God and they're holding these bowls which contain incense. It's like the prayers of the saints. And sometimes we think when we pray a prayer, we, we, I don't know, we kind of imagine, where does my prayer go? Well, it kind of just works its way up. God hears it in heaven and then it just keeps rising up and then I need to say another prayer so that he hears my prayer again because that last prayer rose up. But actually... All of your prayers are permanently before God. So there's things that some of you prayed for 30 or 40 years ago, and that prayer is is still there right now before the throne of God, as if you just prayed it like that. He hears every prayer. He hears every prayer. And there's great encouragement in that, because sometimes the answer doesn't come as quickly as we want, but, but to understand this reality that he actually hears our prayers is a powerful thing. The, some of you think, well, yeah, the God of the universe, maybe he hears the prayers of a, of a pastor or something, but, but I don't know about mine. No. He hears your prayer. Your prayers have been heard. I, I just love that statement. As a side note, um, let's, let's keep trying to go here. Um, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And then starting in verse 14, the angel starts prophesying about who John the Baptist is going to be. The angel says, he will be a joy and delight you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And, and the, the importance of that was that in Numbers chapter 6, the Lord, he, he talks about the, this group of people called the Nazarites. So the way their system was set up was if you were a Levite, you could kind of minister to the Lord. But if you weren't a Levite, you couldn't. You had to be born into the right lineage. So the Lord created this separate category called Nazarites, and what people could do is they could take a Nazarite vow, and it was a vow of consecration to the Lord, and you could do that for a certain season, or you could even do it for a longer period of life. And if you were a Nazarite, you weren't supposed to cut your hair, you weren't supposed to drink any wine or fermented drink, but those were outward symbols of an inward reality of of living a lifestyle consecrated to the Lord. And so the angel is saying, John is going to be a Nazarite from birth. He's going to be consecrated to me from his birth. His whole life is supposed to be lived in this way. Interestingly enough, in the story of Samson, Samson was supposed to be a Nazarite to the Lord. That's why he wasn't supposed to cut his hair. And when his hair got cut, he would lose his strength. Because it was supposed to be a symbol of his devotion to the Lord. But he was a horrible failure in the area of character in his life. John the Baptist is different. So he wasn't supposed to to take wine or other fermented drink because he would be a Nazarite devoted to the Lord. And then it says, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. Oh my goodness. And then it says, now he starts prophesying. So in context here, Luke chapter one with the birth of John where the Old Testament left off was with the prophet Malachi. And then you have these 400 years of silence and no prophet. In Malachi chapter 4, 5, and 6, Malachi ends off and he's talking about how how before the the, the Lord comes back, before Jesus comes, he's going to send the the prophet Elijah to turn the hearts of the the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, basically to turn people back to the righteous ways of the Lord. That's what he prophesies in Malachi chapter 4 and then 400 years of silence. Now here's the Lord speaking 400 years ago about who John's going to be. And it says, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And he's saying, this is going to be part of the fulfillment of what Malachi prophesied. That John's going to function in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn a nation back to God." So Zechariah must have been hearing this and was in an absolute like, oh, what is going on? I, I find it interesting in, um, in Luke 1 verse 17 in the New American Standard Bible, the language is, is slightly different. It says, and it is he who will go as a forerunner before him, meaning before Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah. So John the Baptist was a forerunner. He came slightly ahead of Jesus to prepare the hearts of the people. He came slightly ahead of him to prepare the way for what was to come so that they would be ready for his coming. And, and I love his, his ministry. Um, we sometimes underestimate, I think, how big of a ministry John the Baptist had. But, but Jesus makes this statement in, I believe it's Matthew 11, where he says, up until the time of Jesus, he says, there's no one, there's no one born of a woman who's greater than he. And then he says, but he who's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. But up until that time, John was the greatest person who had ever been born. Greater than Moses, parted the Red Sea, went up to the mountain of God. Greater than Elijah, who called down fire on Mount Carmel. Greater than Elisha and the powerful miracles that he performed. (coughs) Leonard Ravenhill has this great quote about him. Leonard Ravenhill has this quote about John the Baptist where he says, like, this guy, he didn't, he didn't do any miracles. He never multiplied food, never healed the sick, never raised a single dead person. And, and then Ravenhill says, no, but he raised a dead nation. And this was the ministry of John the Baptist. And it was so impactful that, again, that, that years later when the Apostle Paul goes out to Ephesus and he's preaching the gospel, he runs into people there in Ephesus who were disciples of John the Baptist. And they had heard of his ministry. So what does John do with his platform? I think in many ways his ministry can be summed up in John 1 verse 29 where he says this. John 1 verse 29, this is the, the disciple John writing about John the Baptist. There are two different guys. But he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. That John the Baptist, his whole ministry was essentially saying this, look at Jesus. And people would flood out to see him, but again, his, his cry was, was just look to Jesus. In John 3.29, John describes himself like the best man at the wedding. And he talks about how the bride, the people of God, they belong to the bridegroom. And, and the job of, 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 of his ministry was essentially just to make sure that the bride and the bridegroom got to meet and they had a great day. And then he said, I must become less and he must become greater. And, and the whole point John the Baptist is making is that my whole calling is all about pointing the way to Jesus and saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. And and John came to prepare the way because people's hearts, they needed to repent to receive Jesus. They needed to repent to receive Jesus. Let me explain it this way. It's like Jesus is walking in this direction. This is how Jesus is living his life. And the whole world is actually going this direction. And if you want to follow Jesus, the only way you can follow Jesus is you actually got to stop and turn around and start walking in the same direction that he is. So walking in the same direction as as Jesus means we live like he lived. We obey his teachings, we obey his commands. He lived out all of his commands and we gave his commands. He was saying, live like I do, walk like I do. So he was inviting us to actually follow him and walk in the path of his commands. Now sometimes in the church we, we can do this and we can say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus and we're doing our own thing we're, we're, we're actually resisting what he's asking and we're walking over here, but we say we're a follower of Jesus. But the only way you can actually be a follower of Jesus is you actually have to stop, turn around, and start walking in the same way that he is. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is we stop, we turn around, and we start walking in the way of Jesus. It means changing your mind, but also your actions. And you can say, I'm a follower of Jesus till you're blue in the face. But you guys all know, if I'm walking this way and he's walking this way, I'm not following him. I'm just saying it with my mouth. And so that's what repentance was about. He came to prepare the way. And repentance is really, really good news. Repentance is really good news. In John 1 verses, um, or First John 1 verse 9, sorry. We see this, this, this powerful verse. It says, if we confess our sins, he, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Many of you have heard this Bible verse. Maybe you even memorized it in the past. This verse is incredible. If you confess your sins to him, you turn from them. Every single dumb thing you have ever done in your life you're cleansed from it. You know, even some of you, you, have, you might have some dumb things you did in your youth, and you, maybe you've been married for years, and you've never even told your spouse you're so embarrassed about these things. Or maybe you, you have things in your life and you've never told your parents or your, your friends around you because you have so much shame on you because you did this, this thing. And Jesus says, or and the Word says, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Guys, repentance is the best news in the world. It's the best news in the world. We sometimes have this picture of angry repentance preachers. No, 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 no. Repentance is amazing. It's our way out of the the shackles of sin and shame and condemnation. Have you ever seen the look on somebody's face when they realize they're forgiven of their sins? when Jesus comes and releases them from a lifetime of shame, (laughs) when the yoke of condemnation was just weighing them down and then the Holy Spirit comes and and, and they they repent and they're set free and all of a sudden they can actually walk with a smile on their face because they're forgiven of everything they've ever done. There is nothing like the gospel. There is nothing like the gospel to set a heart free. This is incredible news. So John came with this message. No wonder it said that his message would come with great joy. We think of him as this angry guy because he gave it to the hypocrites. He gave it to the Pharisees. But the people loved his message. This is good news. Yeah, sure I'll be baptized. Sure I will. Like I want to be forgiven of my sins. And so he came to prepare the way for Jesus. So here's a question for you. Is your heart prepared for Jesus this Christmas? Is your heart prepared for Jesus this Christmas? Now, if if you're already a follower of Jesus, are you actually following Jesus? Or are you kind of doing the, yeah, I'm following Jesus. I like him. He's a good guy. He's right over there. He's great. I love Jesus. But you're actually walking in the other direction. And maybe it's not in every area of your life. Maybe you got a number of, of areas where, yeah, I'm good with Jesus. I'm good with Jesus. Oh, that area. Nope. And then we're going over there this way. The invitation is repent. Just turn. Just turn and start following him. It's no fun going this way anyway. I mean, it's fun on the front end, but it leads to Death. For a while, it's like, oh, this is going really, really, really good. And then all of a sudden, you like, run into a few Christmas trees, and then it's like not so fun anymore, because the consequences of it actually catch up to you. The wages of sin is death. So, so the, the simple answer is just, just turn to him. We're coming into a Christmas season where, where we're going to be at gatherings, and this for many of us will be our first gathering in two or three years with some of our family members. There's still a little bit of tension there. For whatever reason, right? there's still a little bit of tension. How, how are we going to actually respond this Christmas? And what if they, what if they say one of those comments that just, urgh, just grinds your gears, you know? Just kind of twists your nose. You're know, like, oh, what am I going to do? We have the option to walk in the way of Jesus or to walk in the way of the world. Maybe there's other areas in your life where 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 again, like you're following the Lord, but you got that one or two areas where you're going in the other direction. I want to invite you this morning, repent. Christmas is not about family. It's not. I like my family. I like food. I like you might be able to tell, I like food. I like gathering. I like all that's not what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus. He's the centerpiece of it all. So we want to have our eyes on him. And we want to be filled with joy. And, if they, and so what if somebody says an awkward comment? Just love them. Just love them. And maybe there's some of you here this morning and you're, you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And maybe you've come to church a number of times and you're like, huh, well, he's kind of interesting. Like I'm, you're fascinated, but you're not really sure if that's you. I want to encourage you. The great thing about Jesus is he's always standing there with his arm outstretched and he's just saying, Hey, hey, buddy, just turn. Just turn and come my way. Just turn and come my way. What are you fighting against? I want to forgive all of your sins, I want to take away all of your guilt, all of your shame. Guys, There's nothing you've ever done that his blood can't cover. His blood's really, really powerful. He's God. He's really, really, really powerful. I was telling my students this comment this past week, but if if you think that your sins are so bad that God can't forgive you, I got good news for you. You're not that special. (laughs) You're not that special that you're the one human being that, that his blood can't cover your sins. Well, my sins are way... Oh, if you knew what I did... Jesus is like, guys, you're not my my blood covers all of it. If you haven't been following him, if you've been kind of on the fence, I, I want to encourage you. This is a great morning to just hop off of that fence and just start walking in his direction. Say, Jesus, I turn from my sin. I give you my life, I'm yours. I, I want to walk in your path. If that's you this morning, I, I, just, I want you just to tell the Lord that, even right now. And I'd encourage you, because in a moment, we're going uh, to wrap up in, in, in a few minutes. And we actually have a prayer room. It's right outside the sanctuary. It's, it's just right in the, in the back corner, right across the hallway there, right kind of by the child care spot. There's a room there, and we have some people who would love to pray for you. How are we going to respond to this invitation? Is there room in our heart for him? And then, and then one last point before we wrap up. There's, there's a second thing we need to get from John because John's didn't just come to prepare the way, but his mission is also ours. See, God sent one man, John the Baptist, anointed him with the Holy Spirit and sent him out to one nation to prepare him for Jesus' first coming. But Acts 2 talks about the outpouring of the Spirit on all believers. So before Jesus comes a second time, he's not just anointing one man as a John the Baptist, he's pouring out his Spirit on the whole church. So he's anointing you and me to prepare the entire planet for Jesus' return. You're a forerunner too, just like John. And and our mandate as a forerunner is this, is to be like John. Nah, you don't need to wear camel skin. Don't need to eat wild wild locusts and honey. But what what we need to do is just like him and say this. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. Again, there's no better message. There's nobody in Winkler or Morden or Altona or Carm, wherever you're from, there's nobody there who carries more hope than you do because you know who Jesus is. You carry the the message that can set the most broken and hurting person free. You carry a message of eternal life and joy and goodness. In a second, we're gonna close with a song, joy to the world the Lord has come. There's no greater joy than knowing Jesus. And this is our call as a people. Because we got good news. We got really, really, really good news. And people need to hear it. People need to know there's hope people need to know there's hope we're going to have conversations over the next few weeks probably with some people that and it's going to be a hard christmas for them and because they're thinking about issues with family maybe someone's not there this year maybe somebody passed away in the last year maybe they're going through some stuff in their life or in their marriage but the coming of jesus gives us hope for something so much greater Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.